When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Lightning Round Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Sisti and Jamie Hoyle. Go Chargers, go! Welcome everybody to the Lightning Round Podcast. I am at Garrett Sisti. Jamie, of course, is at Lightning underscore round. We're going to go over this win from Monday night against the Oakland Raiders. But first, you guys were very generous this week and made a lot of donations. So we want to give those people a shout out. I'll go ahead and start with Eric Heisman, uh, who sent us a nice donation. He says, "New coaches, new culture, new year, new bolts. Enjoy listening to you. Po- uh, enjoy listening to the podcast, fellas. Thank you. Well, we thank you, Eric. Thank you so much." Next one is from Guy Atkins, who says, "Cheers from a lifelong Bolts fan in Montana who grew up watching Eric Coriel, aka Fouts to Winslow. Never gets old beating the Raiders in there, or I mean." Our house. Love you. Love what you guys do. Have one on me. Thanks, guy. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yes. Uh, next is Junius Lim, who says, Late night beer run. Looking forward to the post Raider bashing show. I guess that's this one. Thanks, Junius, for the donations. Uh, next one is from Brian Kerr, who says, Thanks for the enhanced commitment this year with the after hours, but stop ragging on Ken Murray. The, the competition is strong, and we're lucky to have linebacker depth over a long season. Thanks, Brian. And it seems like the competition is especially especially strong for Ken Murray. <laughs> I guess if you want to be nice. Uh, last one here for me is Josh Martin, who says, For the beer fun, 
Glad y'all are back. We are happy to be back. Thank you, Josh. Appreciate it. Uh, and the last one is from, and thank you for sending me the, this last name here, Garrett. I appreciate you me. Like, making me pronounce it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> next one is from Jack Ferdicamper. I, I'm pretty sure I got that one right. I'm glad you boys are back and appreciate the work y'all do. Longtime Bolts from the Blue Follower, Chargers fan since the Craig Wheelahan Moses Moreno days. Ouch. Wow. wow. Um, get some Pliny, Elder, Pliny the Elders on me. Thanks, Jack. We appreciate it. Yeah, Jack, Eric, Brian, Junius, Guy, Josh, you guys are the best. Appreciate you all. You don't have to, but if you incline, you feel inclined to do so, we still have that link up for PayPal and Venmo up on the Lightning Round Podcast Twitter. It's it's our pinned tweet up there, but just know things are coming. More stuff's coming. So let's get into this game, Jamie, and let's talk about our storylines and we'll just go ahead and go offense to defense and then uh, apologize at the end. So offensively, what, uh, what storyline you want to start off with? I have one kind of overarching storyline, but we can talk about it on offense. And that is the effect that forward thinking elite level coaching can have on the team. And what we saw kind of go back to the game, you know, we saw the Chargers get out to that fast start and things kind of stalled in the third quarter. They were having a hard time moving the ball. The offensive line was having all kinds of problems. They only had two possessions in the third quarter um, and neither one of them amounted to much, but they got the ball back in the fourth quarter with about 10 minutes and 38 seconds left. They knew they had to move the ball. They had to bleed the clock. And more importantly, really, in my opinion, they had to score another touchdown to make sure they couldn't blow the lead. They could to make sure they could ice the game. Sorry, I'm still flashing back to my Anthony Lynn mentality. Couldn't <laughs> blow the lead there. Um, and they they realized that what they wanted to do, which was pass the ball and have Justin Herbert win the game, wasn't going to work because the Raiders were overloading the right side of the line. They were attacking um, Abushi and uh, and Storm Norton mm -hmm. relentlessly and. Herbert was getting just battered. They were all over him. Every time they dropped back to pass, they just couldn't protect him. So instead of doing what most coaching staffs would do and what we know that Anthony Lynn and Mike McCoy would do, which is let's grind the pace down. Let's take the clock down to one or two seconds. Let's run the ball. We'll see if we can bleed a couple minutes off the clock and we'll just play keep away for as long as we can. They decided to take the air out of the Raiders pass rush. And the way they did that was by using an up-tempo running game to run the ball down the Raiders throats. So instead of slow playing it and grinding the place, the pay down the pace down, excuse me, and trying to, you know, play keep away, they put the game away and they attacked what was a pretty well rested Raiders defense because the chargers hadn't had the ball much in the second half with that up-tempo running game. They, they were back at the line of scrimmage after positive plays with somewhere between 15 and 20 seconds left on the clock after first downs, in a lot of in a lot of cases, it was even faster than that. They were right back up on the line of scrimmage. They were snapping the ball with 15 to 20, uh, 10 to 15 seconds left on the clock, more often than not. And they were as soon as the play was over, they were right back up on the line of scrimmage, doing it again. And they did that all the way down the field. The only real exceptions were on the fourth and three play to Cook, where he they made that completion over Denzel Perriman. Mm -hmm. They kind of ran that clock down a little bit because there was some motion involved. They wanted to make sure they, you know, they identified man coverage, which they wound up doing, and they took their time to get set. That was the only real play where they they slowed things down. And then once the clock was under six minutes, 
they started letting the clock run a little bit longer and played a little bit slower. But this is an example of the Chargers coaches realizing that what they wanted to do wasn't going to work, that they needed more points, that scoring points and wearing out the Raiders defense was more important than just running two or three minutes off the clock and punting the ball back. And you add in the fourth down complete the fourth down completion there and conversion. They understood the importance of the moment. They understood the importance of that possession. They understood the importance of scoring points and bleeding clock, not just running two or three minutes off and punting the ball. And they picked up the pace. They imposed their will and they ran the ball down the Raiders throats with tempo, a lot like what a, like Oregon would have done back in the, in the heyday with, with Herbert and even before him. So that's an example of elite level coaching, recognizing the moment, understanding what they needed, changing the game plan to get what they needed out of that moment. And that's something that we just haven't seen a lot of. And there are lots of examples of that up and down this roster, up and down the way they're, they're managing these games, but that particular drive and the way they blocked and the way they imposed their will on the Raiders at the line of scrimmage is a great example of, how the culture and how the approach is changing with this team and how I'm sure we're going to continue to see that as things move forward. They are not just imposing tempo. They're imposing their physical will on teams when they need to. And they are also making coaches make decisions they don't want to make in terms of going for fourth downs because they know Staley's going to go for on fourth down when they may not expect it. And it's changing the way coaches want to manage games. And all these things are leading to wins, and I'm sure they're going to lead to more wins down the line. Yeah, and I don't know if you saw the quote from uh, the preview video that the Chargers posted this morning, but uh, Coach Daly said said in that clip, third down isn't third down. Third down is second down, and we'll be, and we'll be ready to go for it on fourth down. So it's like, I mean, I if if you printed that on a T-shirt, you make tons of money. He is amazing, and I can listen to him talk all day. And that's kind of the mindset that you got to, it's going to be four downs as much as possible. I mean, obviously field position is going to take a big part of that and a role in whether they go for it or not, but that's the mentality. Now it, it's, you got four chances to get 10 yards and I, the, the team believes in it. And now, like you're saying, the coaches, opposing coaches are going to have to kind of play into that too. And just going off that uh, drive that you're talking about, I mean, that Oakland was driving right before that and they had to kick a field goal and they missed it. And there was some kind of momentum swing at that point. And the chargers are still only up seven at that point. It could have been four, but it was the missed field goal and they had to have points. And that's when the offensive line answered the call. They drove down that field. The O-line moved the uh, line of scrimmage. It was six carries, 35 yards and a touchdown on that play. I mean, they just, did it all. And, you know, we could probably complain and we did on after hours about how the offense seemed to be bogged down in the second quarter and the third corner, but it really did feel like it paid off late when they had to get yards and they needed the offensive line to get some push. And they did, because like you mentioned, they opposed their will on that drive and they wore the Raiders down late. And I know Filer and Norton may have had some really bad reps, but late, Everybody, all five of those guys came together and they wore that defense down and they got points when they needed to. It was it's totally different than what we saw in the first couple weeks and something we mentioned on after hours are winning in different ways now. It isn't just put it all on Herbert. It was and you know, depend on Mike Williams, who's been the hero for the first three weeks. This week it was, hey, we're gonna have to get 
Jared Cook one-on-one. We're going to have to get Eckler one-on-one on these linebackers. And they didn't really need Keenan or Mike Williams this week. And they got the win, and they're winning in multiple different ways. And, you know, they're showing that their coaching can be fluid. It's not just they've got one thing, and they're going to pound it home, and this is our stamp, like Lynn is talking about, running game, running game. We're going to oppose our will at the running game. We're going to grind out yards and win the game late with toughness. That isn't it. Staley's doing anything he possibly can to win games, and he, and he has so far. I mean, they did win the game with toughness, but it wasn't oh, yeah, yeah. just about grinding the pace down and playing keep away. They were looking to put the game away. They, yeah. they didn't want to punt the ball two or three more times and, you know, pick up two minutes here, three minutes there of possession. They wanted to put that game away mm-hmm. and they went for the jugular. And, you know, you talk about finding those matchups and that this is another great example of, of what coaching will do for you. People were irritated during the game. Why aren't they going to Mike? Why aren't they going to Keenan? Why aren't they throwing the ball down the field? Where are the big plays? Because the corners were getting injured, and they thought, yeah. oh, "Hey, let's pick on the uh, you know the backups now." Yeah, but that wasn't the game plan. It was pretty obvious watching the game back. That game plan was really about the tight ends. It always was, and they they really didn't even need Eckler as a receiver all that much. Mm-hmm. They got the one touchdown to him, but it that that whole game plan was about isolating the 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 Raiders linebackers in coverage in space and making them run with the Chargers playmakers, and that's how they scored their points. And that's ultimately what won them the game. And they didn't need Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. And that is not something we're accustomed to saying about this offense ever in the last <laughs> eight years. They don't need mm-hmm. Keenan Allen. They don't need Mike Williams. They don't have to throw the ball to win. Mm-hmm. They, they didn't need to push the ball down the field. They were mm-hmm. able to keep the ball moving and, and score points and run the clock out uh, without having to take shots down the field, which can stop the clock if you're not successful. Yeah, And with the exception of, you know, you, you talk about getting bogged down in the third quarter, watching that game back, the calls that they were making in terms of people getting open and having opportunities to make plays, the calls that Joe Lombardi was making were working. They were running the ball effectively. They were getting people open down the field. You had Keenan drop a beautiful throw oh, on a deep over where he was one-on-one mm. with, with Perriman. That's a ball that Keenan catches eight or nine out of ten times. Mm-hmm. I, I was shocked he dropped it. I mean, it was perfectly yeah. placed. He just didn't come down with it. Um, that stalled the first drive in the third quarter. In addition to Storm Norton just getting absolutely whipped on a, <laughs> on, a on consecutive second and third down plays, mm-hmm. that's what stalled that drive. They were moving the ball. They they should have had the ball set up in the red zone um, or close to it after Keenan catches that deep over. Who knows if he catches it? Maybe he's still running. Um, so just being a little bit off there timing-wise and Keenan not coming down with it, and you throw in two blown blocking assignments by Norton, that stalls that drive. Mm-hmm. The next drive was all Norton getting blown up. They just couldn't get anything going. And what did they do? They went back to the drawing board, and they realized they couldn't rely on Norton one-on-one against Crosby and the other guys who were rushing. So they went they went back to the running game, and they took the air out of the pass rush by running the ball right down their throats and wearing them out. And mm-hmm. that's you've got to be able to make those decisions, like you said, you have to be fluid and they were very fluid in those moments. Um, so that, that for me is the huge story. I think that's the overarching story and it's going to carry over into defense. And even in some respects, special teams, they, they made the adjustments they needed to make. They had a game plan that they knew worked. They stuck with the game plan. It wasn't a one-off game plan that they used for everybody. Like we've seen the last eight years, this was a Raiders specific game plan. Mm-hmm. They beat them one way. I'm sure when they see, when we see them again in January or December, they will play them another way and they will have find another way to beat them. So 
that was huge. Um, and then you start looking at some of the some of the videos you're seeing out from guys like uh, Duke Bannyweather and Brian Balding talking about the Chargers' offensive line play. Another example of great elite level coaching. These guys are exhibiting perfect technique in their the offensive linemen are in their combo blocks and their in their double team blocks in the running game. They're driving guys out of the hole, opening up huge cavernous holes for for Eckler and and uh, Roundtree. They're just they're doing things that we are not accustomed to seeing the players do on the field, and that is that speaks to the game plan. It speaks to the preparation, and what you're also starting to see, and really everybody up and down the roster, is player development. They're developing players. They're getting more out of Donald Parham as a blocker and now as a receiver. They're getting more out of their offensive linemen. You're seeing it on the defensive line and the running game. All of a sudden, guys are starting to step up and fill their lanes and make their plays. Uh, in the secondary, you're seeing it with guys like Gilman and and um, Adderley elevating their level of play. It's And Campbell, it's happening up and down the roster. They're developing players. They're putting guys in position to succeed. And that just that speaks to the coaching. They're prepared. These guys are ready to play every Sunday, and that's not something we're used to. <laughs> uh, definitely not. No. Um, one thing. I mean, you talked about pushing it down the field, and there was one thing I wanted to bring up that I um, I found kind of interesting on the rewatch that I've just been noticing throughout the season. And you know, I think just watching this offense and being able like doing this for so long, we were accustomed to watching this offensive game plan and these offensive coordinators attack the middle of the field. They were so hyper-focused on it. You know, Wisenhunt staple was attacking the middle of the field, especially with those crossers. We saw Hunter Henry have his sit down routes where he just sat in front of a linebacker and he attacked the middle of the field. But this offense is really spreading it out, especially on the outside. Lombardi has been using Herbert's arm strength to his advantage. And I've see you can see him push it to the outside more than we have in past years. And I looked it up because it just seemed like such a drastic change. And the chargers currently have the most completions outside the number of any team this season. So they are absolutely attacking the outside. And even though, you know, Herbert's been amazing this year, especially on the outside. But what I think that's going to do later on is with all the success they're having on the outside, that middle of the field is going to open up. I mean, they're having all these success outside the hashes, but just wait till the middle when they were able to hit the middle of the field with the tight ends and getting Keenan involved on linebackers and stuff. This middle of the field, as this uh, season ticks on, I, I can only imagine it's just going to be open business. I just, I've loved that they're kind of working the outside. And then as the season moves on, they're just going to start working it inside and they're going to have all, all levels of the field rolling. Yeah, and people are asking a lot on Twitter about why is the offense so horizontal? Why isn't it more vertical with Herbert's arm strength? I think they're building towards that. Mm-hmm. I think they haven't needed to be as horizontal against some of the opponents they played early on. I'm sorry, as vertical um, mm-hmm. with some of the opponents they played early on. And they're really, like you said, trying to stretch the perimeter, trying to throw the ball outside the numbers, trying to get teams to respect that because that's not a throw a lot of quarterbacks want to make normally. Oh, no. Mm-mm. And I think that sets up double moves. It sets up bigger shots down the field later. If they have to respect those short and intermediate outs, now all of a sudden double moves open up. Now all of a sudden they can break the ball, break the routes off to the inside, run more slants, run more post routes, more overs, things like that. We're going to start seeing that they're going to start here building towards a more vertical passing attack. I'm sure. Um, But they're setting it up. They're setting it up with the run game. They're setting it up with those, short and intermediate passes to the perimeter, uh, the, the easy, the gimme, so to speak, um, which we, you know, we didn't see a lot of the last few years. They just, they haven't gone to those as much 
because they were looking to push the ball down the field and, and attack the middle of the field. And now I think they're going to start fanning. The defenses are going to have to start fanning their guys out more to cover outside the numbers. And it's going to open, like you said, it's going to open things up in the middle. It's going to be open season on defenses here with Herbert before too long. Yeah. Yeah. What, what I love, and you could see on every level, really offense, defense, and even somewhat in special teams is all year. They're just starting to build off stuff. You see little wrinkles here or there, and then they start adding on to it and adding on to it. And things are just building till the end of the year. And then once, once they get to the end of the season, everything's just going to be open. It's it's awesome. I I just love seeing these little things just kind of build and build and build and just with success so far. Yeah, and it's none of it's super complicated. Uh, it's all simple, and you can see it happening on tape. You can see the foundations they're laying with some of these plays, like that shot to Anderson we talked about on After Hours. Mm-hmm. They've been setting that up since the Washington game. Um, and none of it's super complicated. None of it's – I mean – the flea flicker was slow developing and it was unnecessary. But other than that, most of these plays they're setting up. They're from traditional, you know, power run formations. They're, they're using the bunch formations and the condensed formations to create space. They're using the whole field. They're mixing in the play action and it's all building towards something. And they've probably got five, 10, 15 plays out of one formation that they love that they don't want to put on tape quite yet. Mm-hmm. But they're setting up because teams know when Steven Anderson's in the game, he's probably in the block. He's probably going to be the, the lead blocker as a fullback. Um, and now you can leak a Parham out. Now you can leak a, an Anderson out. There, It gives you options because they have to respect the running game with Anderson in there. They, you know, it's going to create – and they're not going to respect Anderson as receiver because it's not something that he's shown consistently that he can do. He's not – they're not looking for him to beat them deep. So mm. it just – it, it's fun to watch. It's just really fun to watch them laying that groundwork and building towards things um, instead of just doing the same things over and over and over again, because this is what we do. Um, it's forward thinking. They're, they're looking three, four five, ten 10 steps ahead, two, three, four weeks ahead uh, and setting those things up. And it's, it's awesome to watch. You can see it. You would think other teams would see it, but it doesn't seem to be as obvious to them yet. Well, or they just can't stop it. That too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, and even with all how things have been going and how they're building on it and how the coach has kind of put his stamp on this offense and uh, how we talked about that last drive where they scored seven, even as impressive as all that's been, they are doing it at just top shelf right now. We are talking about um, that Daniel Jeremiah was on Twitter saying that uh, the Chargers defense has held every opponent to the lowest point total, which is great. But also, the Chargers have done it with a third hardest schedule in the in the NFL so far. And then, as Jason, uh, Jason retweeted a couple days ago, the Chargers are the only team with a record over 500 that has played an opponent with a record over 500. So it's they're putting up these staggering numbers, building on this offense and defense against quality opponents. Now I know that that may change as the season progresses, obviously, but you know, it's not just about being three and one and beating who they're supposed to. They're clicking really early in the season, building off all these positives and they're doing it through each game and they're doing it with some really, really good opponents right now. And they get a little better every week. Yeah. They're, they're correcting their mistakes week to week, that attention to detail, you know, Outside of really a couple of really bad penalties against the Raiders, they played a pretty clean game in terms of mental and physical mistakes. No turnovers. No no turnovers. Um, You know, you had the one kind of, you know, panic 
pass interference on um, on Asante Samuel Jr. that cost them some yardage and wound up giving the Raiders a touchdown. You had Derwin getting beat deep, which wasn't really his fault. Ruggs runs like the wind. That's a yeah. tough, tough cover for him. Um, and Bosa's, pe- Bosa's penalty, which was I'm sure we'll talk about here in a little bit, but was warranted <laughs> even if the timing was poor and extended a drive. It was certainly warranted. And um, outside of those three things, there really weren't a lot of sloppy, stupid mistakes like we saw in the first couple of weeks. It seems like they've cleaned up the um, the illegal motions that hurt them the first three weeks. They're taking their time with the, those motions and they're getting and the shifts and Herbert Herbert's giving guys a, a chance to get set and get ready before he snaps the ball. He And it seems like they're really focused on that, which is a good thing considering I think it took 14 or 21 points off the board in the first three weeks. Um, so that's huge. Um, they cleaned up the the getting bogged down in the red zone by yep. simplifying things and playing faster with better tempo. Um, the defense is not making big mistakes. You're seeing across the board on defense, It's it might be the most disciplined this defense has been in years. Um, they're not making huge glaring mistakes. They're not making huge physical mistakes. The pass rush is disciplined. They're staying in their lanes. They're trapping quarterbacks for the most part in the pocket and forcing them to either go down or make make bad throws. Um, the linebackers are filling their lanes and making plays in the running game. The secondary is making plays on the back end. Uh, everybody seems to be, for the most part, where they're supposed to be. Um, and they're, they just keep getting better and a little bit more efficient every single week on both offense and defense. And it shows on tape. It, there's just there's less to be concerned about every week watching this tape. I mean, there's still areas for improvement, but they clean it up a little bit more every week. Yeah, I mean, last week we talked about them being four or five in the red zone. They were four for four this week, weren't they? On Monday, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, vast improvement on offense and in the red zone. Uh, things they needed to clean up, and they did. They have so far. Uh, anything else on offense before you want to move on to Bosa? I, I would just point out that you know we're we're sitting here raving about um, Staley and the coaching staff, and they did do a great job. But the next thing that we need to see, the next evolution in their game planning, is they really have to give Storm Norton more help. He's getting crushed um, mm-hmm. by the pass rush. He he had a really rough uh, third third quarter and early fourth quarter before they decided to start running the ball on that last drive really struggled. Uh, they can't leave him out there one-on-one. They need to give him help. I don't know if it's a tight end, if it's chipping Eckler. more double teams. I don't know what the answer is right now, but they're going to have to find a way to give him more help because they cannot leave him out there on an Island by himself. And I'm sure they will figure something out because they seem to be figuring everything else out. And you have seen some improvement in Norton's technique. You know, he had a nice counter to a spin move by Crosby yep. uh, in the first or second quarter on, on Monday. Unfortunately, it kind of went downhill from there, but yeah, um, I think you'll see protection start to slide his way more. I think you'll start to see more chipping, more double teams, more tight ends on that side just to help kind of take some of the pressure off. And once they get that cleaned up, the protection has been so good. Otherwise that there should be plenty of time for Herbert to stand in the pocket and make those plays they want to make. Yeah. And hopefully it starts this week because the Browns have a real good pass rushing attack. And yeah, I mean, just leave Rashawn Slater on an Island. He's been so impressive. Yeah, what's the point of even having anybody else help out there? Just overload that right side and give Norton all the help he could possibly get and trust in your rookie because he's been amazing so far. But yes, that's that's definitely a good point and something they're going to have to fix, hopefully, 
this coming Sunday. Yep, for sure. All right, so Bosa, late in the game, gets the penalty, uh, gets held, thrown to the ground, no call, and he let the refs have it. Uh, they said he doesn't cuss, so it's not like he chewed him out too bad, but must have said something bad enough that the refs threw a flag. So how are you feeling about his comments? Because after the game, he says that the refs, they, he doesn't know what they saw. They need to open their eyes. They need to do better. It's been too He long. called them blind. Yeah. He said they're blind. Yeah. Um, I agree with him. The officiating has been terrible. Uh, and he gets held probably more than anybody else in the league when he's beating opposing offensive linemen basically every snap. Mm-hmm. Um, he gets held a lot. And the play in particular that he that had him upset, he had Alex Leatherwood beat, and Leatherwood basically grabbed him in a headlock from behind and ripped him down to the ground. Which was a theme uh, on Sunday, by the way. He beat Leatherwood was, like a drum on Monday. Yeah, yeah it was a theme Monday. on it was a theme on Monday, and there were there was a similar play with Norton against Crosby where he did the exact same thing and they threw a flag, but for whatever mm-hmm. reason they're not throwing it for Joey. Right, uh, and you would think that the star pass rusher would get those calls, but he's not getting them for some reason. Um, and now who knows if he's going to get them after he's called out basically the entire fi- officiating group crew, in the uh-huh. and said they were blind. So I agree with him. Um, I love that he's saying these things because it gives us something to talk about, but I think, <laughs> you know, calling all officials blind uh, may not be the best way to go. It mm-hmm. might be the kind of thing that has people that has officials out for him and making those calls on his behalf even less frequently than they already are, which is basically never. So he's probably not helping himself or the team. Um, but it had to be said because it's it's brutal. I mean, he gets he gets mauled every play and nobody's calling it. No. No, and we you know, we talked about week one and two. He had those rough uh the roughing the passer penalties late, and it seemed like the refs were out to get him then. Um, what you know, a lot that were kind of on the edge, but they did not give him the benefit of the doubt, and he got flagged for it each time. And now he's saying all refs are blind, which uh, definitely isn't the best way to go about it. But he's not wrong. And I guess if you play long enough and you don't get those calls, at some point maybe you got to go scorched earth. And I guess that's kind of what Joey Bosa decided his plan of attack would be this week after the game on Monday. But I mean, it it was holding. Uh, we saw the uh, same play, like you mentioned. Storm Norton took Crosby to the ground, just like Leatherwood did to Bosa. Norton got a penalty. Crosby got that call. Bosa did not. So, you know, that. yeah, it's it's the right – he's right, but probably not the best way to go about it. Either it's a flag and you call it for everybody, or it's not a penalty and you don't call it at all. Yeah. It can't go one way and not go the other. Yeah, that's – yeah. That's that's the point. It's got to go both ways on everything. Um, so let's talk about uh, some more of the defense. And I want to uh, kind of give props to the run D because on the rewatch, they were absolutely outstanding. Uh, they've been giving up an average of 107, 170 total yards on the ground through three weeks. And on Monday night, they gave up 48 total rushing yards. Going into Monday, they gave up 100-yard rushers in back-to-back games. The Raiders leading rusher Josh Jacobs only had 40 yards on the ground and he averaged 3.1 yards per carry. Uh, through, uh, two weeks ago, uh, three weeks ago, Edwards Hilaire, or two weeks ago, excuse me, Edwards Hilaire, 5.9 yards per carry. Three weeks ago, Tony Pollard, 8.4 yards per carry. Chargers run game was so good on the rewatch. They did the best job of uh, containing Tony Pollard, or excuse me, that was uh, 
a couple weeks ago of uh, containing Josh Jacobs. And a lot of that is uh, Staley creating a lot of co- uh, chaos inside. There were a lot of movement with the interior guys. But most importantly, a lot of it came from the linebackers at the second level. Kaiser White and Drew Tranquil filled up every gap they needed to. They created a wall with those two. Uh, just streamlining through that uh, line of scrimmage. And I just want to make a segue here because those two add a completely different element to this defense. On the 13 carries by Josh Jacobs, Drew Tranquil, Kaiser White made a tackle on five of them. Also, both of them made a tackle on Peyton Barber's single carry and Kenyon Drake's lone carry as well. They did a, they did a great job taking away the middle of the field most of that game. They just locked the middle of the field down, covering all the backs out of the backfield. Josh Jacobs only had five receptions for 17 yards. He got nothing. And his blitzers, Drew Tranquil, QB hit, forced a throwaway. He also set up Joey Bosa's strip sack. He took on a double team on his side. They overloaded Joey's side, and, and Tranquil took one of the blockers. Kaiser White had a big third down run stop, a tackle for a loss, and a fourth down stop on that pass to Jacobs which gave the Chargers the ball back. So this whole defense, I mean, they looked absolutely rejuvenated with these two athletes in the middle. And I know those other, a lot of other guys contributed, and Derwin got a pick at the end to seal it, but White and Tranquil were the absolute heartbeat for the defense on Monday. On the rewatch, you could just see it. They were feeding off those two, and and they've just been great. They were great on Monday, and I can't wait to see them again on Sunday. Yeah, White and Tranquil played really well, but I think you also have to really give credit for the defensive line or I should say to the defensive line. Oh, sure. For stepping up in a big way because those guys were making plays and taking on blocks in a way that enabled White and Tranquil to make the plays they were making. Absolutely. Um, you know, Forrest Merrill, everybody was excited to talk about him. I did not remember really seeing much of him live uh, watching the game on Monday night. Mm. He stood out immediately when he came on the field during the rewatch. And granted, I was watching him a little bit more closely because people were asking, but he – had three snaps. He made the most of all three snaps. Uh, on two of them, he he took on double teams. One, he forced a run to bounce back outside, and a couple of guys, I think uh, Davis and White or Tranquil, one of those two guys chased um, chased Jacobs out out of bounds after like a two yard gain. Another one of the the double the double teams that he took on, he wound up splitting and making a tackle for loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and on another one, he took on a double teams, slipped through and forced Jacobs to bounce outside and white came through and made a tackle for loss. So he showed up on all three plays that he was in on. Um, I thought Tillery had Jerry Tillery had probably his best game as a run defender as a, as a charger, not just this year, but period. He, um, I mean, he still had his moments where he was on the ground a little bit too much, but he did a much better job of holding up at the point of attack. He took on some double teams and was able to fight through and help make tackles. He was very active around the line of scrimmage. Um, in stopping runs and getting his hands on on ball carriers. Very, very good. Uh, very, very improved. I thought the entire defensive line was very disciplined. Um, nobody was trying to do too much. They they controlled their gaps. They made stops when they needed to. They funneled guys inside or outside when they needed to, back to where the help was. Uh, nobody was really caught out of position. Um, they they did a fantastic job. Linval Joseph, Jerry Tillery, um, Covington. both were really good inside. Covington was really good inside. I thought Fackrell, Bosa, and Nwosa did a great job setting the edge, giving the linebackers a chance to come down and make plays when there was nowhere to go outside. Uh, the front seven as a whole did a fantastic job of stopping the run. It was like they just made a decision that they were going to make a statement, and they stood up, and they did 
really an amazing job. Um, and if that's how they're going to play the rest of the season, then whew, that run defense is going to be pretty tough because they, they Staley started changing up the front a little bit. You know, the, in some cases there were four men on the line in some cases, five or six, you couldn't tell who was coming from where uh, they were attacking the gaps much more effectively. I mean, there was, you know, there were scheme changes that helped. There was technique improvements that helped just little details that you could see that weren't there the first two or three weeks that popped up on Monday that hopefully will carry out through the rest of the season. Yeah. Uh, a couple things for on Forrest Merrill. I mean, we were, we were calling his name after the Dallas loss. Like, where is that beef up front? And finally they got him in and he made an impact right away and three snaps. I mean, every, you could tell right away, those three, there's four big old Forrest Merrill right in the middle. And that run stop where he split the, uh, the interior uh, offensive lineman was a beautiful, beautiful move. Shout out Jerry Tillery been really, really good this season. A uh, guy that's kind of going on the radar a little bit, but he's been really good this year, for sure. He's been good the last couple of weeks. I didn't think he was very good the first two weeks, but he's been getting better. Well, no, he's. I mean, it's an improvement. He played probably his best game on Monday. I thought maybe his best game as a Charger. He had a sack. He there were a couple pressures that he had. Did a really good job against the run. Um, he's definitely showing some improvement. Yeah, and if the if the Chargers defense is taking away the big splash plays. And like I mentioned, they've uh, held all their opponents to their lowest uh, yard and point total of the year in every game so far. And they can stop the run like they did on Monday. Look out, man. Look out. They're going to be dangerous. Yeah, it seems like they're really settling into the scheme. And Uh guys are kind of understanding their positions and, and their responsibilities and really starting to carry them out much more effectively. So... It's fun to watch. Another good example of what it means to have elite level coaching. Oh um, boy. Guys understand what's being asked of them. They know they know they can execute and now they're starting to execute. Yeah. I'm I'm almost getting to the point where we just uh swipe Brandon Staley's audio and then just post it in place of our podcast because everybody will listen to it. It's amazing. I could listen <laughs> to him talk forever. <laughs> uh anything else defensively before we start to apologize here and I just I, I think um, Nasir Adderley deserves a ton of credit for the way he's oh, been playing. Oh man, uh, he is a completely different player this year. The confidence, the physicality, being where he's supposed to be, understanding the route combinations and breaking on routes, he has been really, really good. And he was fantastic on Monday. There was one play in particular. I think it was on the Raiders' first or second possession where they ran a a deep over with rugs from right to left and. Um, Adderley started on the right hash, read the play all the way, broke on the ball, timed it perfectly, broke the pass up. Uh, just a beautiful play. He's been so physical Gorgeous. in the run game, making some just bone-crushing hits uh, mm-hmm. in the run game, physical open field tackles on much bigger running backs. Um, he is not playing timid anymore. He doesn't look like an ankle biter anymore. He is a reliable, physical, drag-down, knockdown tackler now and he's becoming much more reliable in coverage. Uh, even having some, even though he got beat for a touchdown on Monday, he had some really good reps against Darren Waller, uh, where he he was in position and made some nice plays on the ball. So, Adderley deserves a lot of credit. Didn't see as much of Gilman this year, this week, um, mm-hmm. because they were playing more tranquil, and it seemed like that kind of changed their nickel package a little bit. But man, Adderley just seems to get better every week. Yeah. Such great timing. He got, 
You got a little antsy on the timing of that one pass where he got called for the hit on a defenseless receiver on Monday. But, man, he has been laying wood. He's been real physical, and his timing's been really good. That uh, He had that one pass breakup that keeps coming to mind in the end zone where he high-pointed the ball almost came down with it. He's been just a totally different player this season. I We all had hoped we would see the Nasir Adderley from college, but uh, we, had, we didn't see that early on, and now we're just seeing – him just elevate his game. He's been great so far. He really has. Yeah. Uh, and shout out Michael Davis, who had some real strong tackling on Monday too, man. There were two big hits where he just stuck. I think it was Josh Jacobs both times, maybe. Yep. But, and he, man, he looked really good tackling us on uh, Monday. How physical was he on Monday? Ooh. And just to see the improvement and the tackling really across the board from everybody on defense mm-hmm. from week one to now, yeah. um, just really impressive. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's atone, Jamie. It's time to apologize, to eat a little crow or whatever else now. What do we have to say about our after-hour show or just anything in general? Um I guess the it's a minor apology, but I guess I would say that I I I apologize to Forrest Merrill for missing him <laughs> on the live watch. Yeah, he deserves uh, enjoyed it. Enjoyed watching his his three plays that he had on, on Monday and the difference that he made in the run game when he was in there and look forward to seeing more of him and getting more snaps because Forrest Merrill, he more than maybe anybody, he made the most of whatever snaps he got on Monday. And really, I mean, he really, he flashed and he stood out in a big way in very limited snaps. Yes. Yes. I, I caught the one run stop. I didn't see the rest of it, but yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, I want to just go ahead and apologize to Storm Norton because uh, I thought he looked good on the initial watch. I uh, saw him. He had a, a, a pancake early on in the first quarter against Max Crosby, who kind of like lost his footing, and and Norton drove him to the ground, and he was on his back. And then the move that you were talking about where he countered that spin move, I tweeted out that he looked good. And then from that tweet on, he got killed. So I'm sorry for jinxing Storm Norton. Uh, if there's any other positive plays from Storm Norton, I will make sure to say it after the game. I will no longer jinx Storm Norton. I apologize for that. My bad. Good luck this week versus the Cleveland pass rushers. And I, I, I am sorry, Storm. You, I thought you had some good plays, but I will not bring it up to anybody until afterwards. Peace be with you, Storm. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Um, yeah, I'm done. That's it for me. But if you've got anything else, I guess I'll just throw Joel Lombardi out there because we, as has been kind of customary on after hours, we were kind of hard on his mm-hmm. his play calling and on after hours. And I thought watching it back, it wasn't the play calling that was the problem. It was the execution, specifically the blocking on the right side of the line. So it seemed like he had a lot of really good plays dialed up, with really the exception of the flea flicker. Um, he he had some pretty good plays dialed up. They just couldn't execute enough to complete them. So mm-hmm. not on him. Uh, and, and again, four, four out of four, I think in the red zone, they put up, I think over 500 yards of total or 400 yards of total offense again on Monday, 28 points in an NFL game. Um, so he's doing something right. Yeah. Yeah. In a primetime game. Yes. Yeah. I, I will second that emotion. I, I apologize to Joe Lombardi. I got a little, uh, I was a little rough on him about his play calling in the second and third quarter. I just thought there was just way too many runs, and I thought it was kind of bogging down the offense a little bit. I thought once Justin Herbert got hit by Darius Phylon, 
they had to get going and he looked and Herbert just kind of looked a little shook for a quarter and a half and I thought they needed to just air it out and get his confidence back a little bit. And though he was running the ball, I thought it was the wrong thing to do, but ultimately ended up being the good thing to do because and the right thing to do because later on they were able to grind him down. You know, I think maybe running it in the second, third quarter kind of helped open things up late. So it ended up working out and maybe I just didn't see the big picture. Maybe that was Lombardi's point, but for uh, I, I do apologize because I think, uh, you know, on first watch, it looked a little different than how it appeared on the rewatch. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, that's it for us. We will see you guys for After Hours. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube page and the podcast and everything else. I am at Garrisisti on Twitter. Jamie? At Lightning underscore Round. And we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.